Welcome to Water Damage with your host, Gil Mancha. This is my chronological discussion of the King of the Seven Seas, Aquaman. Disclaimer, I will be actively getting and collecting issues as we go, and I'm trying to only cover issues that I have a physical copy of or are in a collected edition. I'm going to try to stray away from digital because I love physical media, but the DC Universe Infinite app would be a great way to keep up with the podcast. Be sure to hit the follow button on Spotify or preferred platform to get episodes as soon as they drop. If you play Injustice 2 on Xbox, you can join the official guild, Water Damage Podcast, ID 0JMD4. There our community can play games of Injustice 2, which is currently free on Game Pass. Regardless of who you play, you're welcome to come in and play, or just chat. Follow the Twitter or X account, at Water Damage Pod, to see when I go live. We can chat and play some games. Today's episode will be a double feature with Adventure Comics 267, the Manhunt on Land, and The Underwater Archers. Links will be in the podcast notes. This issue was released on December 2nd, 1959. Let's take a look back at what else was happening that day in history. Do it again! The best-selling single was still Mac the Knife by Bobby Darin. The top of the box office was A Summer Place. If you're watching TV, you're probably watching What's My Line, You Bet Your Life, Gunsmoke, and Maverick. The younger among us would be watching Tom Terrific, Felix the Cat, Clutch Cargo, and The Many Loves of Dobby Gillis. Popular toys include Play-Doh, Metal House Robots, The Hula Hoop, and Crater Critters. Lots of repeats from our last episode. Mac the Knife continues to be fun sounding, but actually dark. I haven't seen a summer place, but the summary is, a self-made businessman rekindles a romance with a former flame while their two teenage children begin a romance of their own with drastic consequences for both couples. A lot of that really does seem familiar, but a quick search didn't bring up anything that familiar to me. If you're interested, you'll have to pay up because it's available to buy and rent on YouTube, Apple TV, Vudu, and Amazon Prime Video. What's My Line is a long-running panel show in which a celebrity panel questions members of the public or a famous guest to try to guess their jobs. If you're interested, it's streaming for free on Prime Video. In You Bet Your Life, Groucho Marx hosts a question-and-answer game show. It's free on Tubi. Gunsmoke, as briefly covered in an earlier episode, is an American radio and Western drama series. It's free on Paramount+, Plus, Pluto TV, Prime Video, and less free on Philo, YouTube, and the Roku channel. Maverick is another American Western series with comedic overtones. It's not free anywhere, but you can buy and rent it on YouTube, Apple TV, and Prime Video. Tom Terrific is about a small boy who acquires amazing powers from a funnel-like hat he wears. I think you can find some episodes of YouTube if you try hard enough. Felix the Cat is an anthropomorphic black cat with white eyes, black body, and a giant grin. He is one of the most recognizable cartoon characters in history, but I didn't see a place to actually watch it. Clutch Cargo is about the adventures of a pilot who takes on dangerous assignments with his young ward spinner and his pet dash hound, Paddlefoot. It's free on Tubi, Sling TV, and Plex. Check out our last episode on Adventure Comics 266 if you want some popular culture information 
relating to that show. The Many Loves of Dobby Gillis is a sitcom about a teenager who strives for beautiful women, fancy cars, and money. It stars Bob Denver, Gilligan himself, and it's free on Pluto TV, Sling TV, Roku TV, Crackle, Prime Video, and Plex. If you want to buy it, it is on YouTube. I think we've touched on the toys before, but I'll add that Crater Critters were serial toys. Very simple and mostly one saw to color, but interesting designs. They're called critters, but I'd say they look more like aliens. If you're familiar with the song, top movie, or other events, let me know. On the Spotify app, at least, you have a Q&A section where you can reply to my question of what do you think of this issue. You can do it there, social media, or even the YouTube VOD for this episode. While you're there, I have a poll, too. What other DC hero would you like to see covered like we do Aquaman? The choices are Dick Grayson's Robin and Nightwing, Sergeant Rock, Blue Beetle, all three we have so far, Booster Gold, and Shazam. You can pick as many as you want, I'd love to see what you guys think. That's a taste of what the world was like when Adventure Comics 267 was released. I'm reading this thanks to Showcase Presents Aquaman Volume 1, but it was also reprinted in Super Team Family Number 3, Greatest Team-Up Stories Ever Told, and Aquaman Archives Volume 1. The Manhunt on Land Alone was reprinted in World's Finest 144, and The Underwater Archers was reprinted by itself in World's Finest 145, and Showcase Presents Green Arrow Volume 1. This issue is available on the DC Universe Infinite app, so you don't need to hunt down old books to check this one out. Just like the other issues we've covered here, Adventure Comics is an anthology of stories, and this is the second and third, all behind Superboy. Per usual, it's either middle or last. Nothing's beating out the Golden Boy. Again, the two stories are called The Manhunt on Land and The Underwater Archers. Luckily, Aquaman's gloves are back to green, which I personally prefer. That said, the Showcase Present series is in black and white, so if that's your only access to it, you wouldn't know. The Manhunt on Land was written by Robert Bernstein, penciled in ink by Ramona Fradden. This cover of Adventure Comics focuses on the Superboy story, so we'll focus on the first panel of the Aquaman story. The Aquaman name is written in red. On the cover, we see Aquaman standing in front of railroad tracks with a fishbowl on his head that's filled with water. There seems to be a mic on it so he can talk and on the sides for his ears so he can hear while wearing it. Pure sci-fi. He's got his hands up in a, my hands are up, don't shoot, posture. Why are his hands up? Well, there's three people with guns pointed at him. They're all wearing beige shirts, purple pants, and have sacks over their heads with the eyes cut out and shark teeth drawn over the mouth area. It sort of reminds me of Oogie Boogie from The Nightmare Before Christmas. The person in the middle says, you're trapped, Aquaman. I knew that if you had to track me down on land, you'd be like a fish out of water. You're hopeless without your sea creatures. It's a good time to point out that behind the three would-be shooters, there's a water tank that Toppo has opened. So sliding out of the tank are a seal, a swordfish, a turtle, and an electric eel. Aquaman tells him, my finny friends aren't so far away as you think, shark. Very confident, but in his head he's thinking, bless Toppo, my pet octopus. He's pulling the lever of the railroad water tank so my sea patrol can come to my aid. In the text, it explains that while in the water, Aquaman is the absolute ruler of the sea. It poses the question, what happens when he's forced out of the water? Can his sea creatures help on land? Can the king of the sea overcome the handicap of being away from the water when he undertakes the manhunt on land? As an aside, Adventure Comics 261, Aquaman Duels the Animal Master prove that yes, yes he can. The Underwater Archers was written by Robert Bernstein, penciled and inked by Lee Elias. This cover of Adventure Comics focuses on the Superboy story, so we'll focus on the first panel of the Green Arrow story. 
The words the green is black and the word arrow is red but has a green colored arrow going through it. On the cover we see both Green Arrow and Speedy in scuba gear patterned after their normal hero attire, wielding what looks like rifles with bows attached to the barrel. If you're a Power Rangers fan, then it looks like when the team combines their weapons for their final attack, but only the Black Ranger's Power Axe and Pink Ranger's Power Bow are assembled. Across from them is a giant whale heading their way looking angry with its mouth wide open. Worried, Speedy is thinking, the whale sees us, it's coming for us. Why doesn't Green Arrow do something? At the same time, Green Arrow is thinking, there isn't an arrow in my quiver that can stop that monster. We're goners unless I can improvise some defense in a few seconds. In the text above, it says how on land in Star City, the two can battle a variety of enemies and win, but now they're in a watery world full of unfamiliar perils. At a disadvantage, they must face the perils of fierce sea creatures and a cunning master criminal when they become the underwater archers. Let's check out the About This Book section on the DC Universe Infinite app for this issue. Prisoner of the Superheroes, Superboy is shocked that his friends from the Legion of Superheroes have appeared in 20th Century Smallville and are doing their best to upstage and beat Superboy in saving the day, solving crimes and stopping menaces. Plus Aquaman in The Manhunt on Land and Green Harrow in The Underwater Archers. Yeah, that didn't really explain anything. It's Superboy's world after all. After the break, we'll summarize the issue. Is Aquaman finished? Can you make it to the bathroom before we return with part two of the show? What it do, guys? Manjame here, and if you like board games, especially deck building games, you should check out at Team Underscore Thunder on YouTube. There we have unboxings and games of Legendary, a Marvel deck building game, the DC deck building game, the Transformers deck building game, and many more. That's also where you can find VODs for this and Accelerated Visions, a Spider-Man 2099 podcast where you can directly leave a comment and we can discuss the issues. The Superman-Aquaman Hour of Adventure, featuring Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and your favorite comic book superheroes in their own adventure stories. It's 60 minutes of thrills and fun, next on most of these stations. We start the story, The Manhunt on Land, in a state prison where Shark Norton, a notorious pirate, stares out from behind bars. He's got big eyes and teeth like Butthead from Beavis and Butthead, but with much less gum showing. While staring, he's thinking about how this time tomorrow morning he'll be free and Aquaman will never catch him again because he's throwing away being a sea pirate. In the next cell over, there's a renegade inventor, Horace Cates, aka The Wizard. He's also got big plans. He's upset at Green Arrow for putting him in prison. But after he escapes, he won't commit any more crimes on land, so he won't come across Green Arrow again. Separately, they decide today's the day, so later on, they hide themselves in the prison machine shop. The wizard tells Shark that it's E-Day, escape day. He's been secretly building a mattress catapult for two years. Shark responds saying that he's been collecting rubber and metal to make crude skin diving equipment. They've both been building up good records, so they're allowed to use the machine shop that they're currently in, and apparently unsupervised. Shark explains that being able to use the machine shop will let them make the devices, and we're able to hide them in a secret panel. They've only got one chance, though. Shark explains to the wizard that he'll escape by water, but he'll become a land pirate so Aquaman can never catch him again. He's helpless on land, like a fish out of water. The wizard tells him, Funny, I'm avoiding the land if I escape as he's catapulting himself into the night. Click. He explains saying that his future crimes will be underwater so Green Arrow can't operate so easily. 
He wishes Shark good luck. Shark opens a manhole and heads down. Seconds later, the guards outside see Wizard flying out of prison. Whoosh! One guard says, a convict is flying over the wall into a river. Open fire! And at least he shoots. The wizard's thinking about how the catapult worked. I'll hit the water. After that, it's the high seas where Green Arrow will never catch me again. And he didn't get shot. While the wizard is falling through the air and getting shot at, Shark is swimming in an underground tunnel. His homemade diving equipment is working, so once he gets to the city, a mile away, he'll start his piracy on land away from Aquaman. Days later, the Coast Guard signals Aquaman from their boat, telling him the police have learned from Sharks' pals that Shark will be a land pirate from now on, while his friend the Wizard has taken to the sea with his gang. The Coast Guard continues saying that Green Arrow is already on the Wizard's trail and wants Aquaman to track Shark even if he's operating on land. Aquaman riding Tapo face palms, but, but I'm handicapped out of the water. I can't breathe air. The Coast Guard info dumps saying, Yes, everyone knows that if you're out of the water for an hour, you'll gasp for water like a dying fish. But the police feel you alone have the know-how to catch shark. He dives into the water. Okay, <gasps> I'll do what I can. The following week, Aquaman shows up at Star City's police headquarters. He's got that fishbowl from the cover and a truck. On the bed of the truck is an aquarium with countless variety of sea life. The chief thinks goodness Aquaman's there to track shark while Green Arrow is sea hunting the wizard. Aquaman tells him some friends gave him this tank trailer so his sea patrol can accompany him and the helmet solve the breathing problem. As I explained earlier, it has special microphone that enable him to hear and speak through the helmet. The policeman's very supportive, saying, fine, but depending on how you read it, it could easily have been sarcastic. He goes on to say that, sure, Shark will soon discover you can't escape on land or sea. That afternoon, Aquaman is patrolling the streets and driving the truck. From above, we see a man telling Shark that Aquaman is after him. With him around, we won't be able to stage one holdup. Unfazed, Shark tells him he'll get rid of Aquaman easily. They'll ambush his trailer tonight. Hours later, and we see Shark's gang members hiding behind a sign, holding guns as Aquaman's truck approaches. Here comes the trailer now. Knock out its headlights. Then we'll get Aquaman. The unnamed member says, And his sea creatures. With them destroyed, Aquaman will be helpless. Come on. They rain the trailer with gunfire. Bang, bang, bang. Aquaman's astonished. I it's an ambush. They blasted my headlights so they can rush me in the dark. Crack, crack. But they've got a surprise coming. The surprise is Aquaman using his marine telepathy to signal his luminous fish to cluster themselves together to form a brilliant searchlight and immediately finds the shooters. While they're stunned, Aquaman presses a button to open the top of the tank to allow swordfish to fly out. Swish! Whoosh! They fly at the shark gang. Thud! Whack! Pam! We're pinned to the billboard by Aquaman Swordfish. Now Aquaman thinks about how he'll radio the motorcycle police to arrest those thugs. The last member says, gosh, this is just the way Aquaman would catch us. Except that Aquaman uses swordfish instead of arrows. Minutes later, the police arrive, and as they're arrested, one of the members tells Aquaman he nailed them, but Shark will get him next time. Aquaman throws the swordfish back into the tank and confidently says, Fine, let's hope he shows up in person to do it. Early the next morning, Aquaman hears on the radio that two of Shark's men were last seen near Haynes' department store downtown. Aquaman realizes he's downtown now and can be there in two minutes. Once he gets there, outside the sporting goods store, Aquaman comes across more of Shark's men. They raise their guns to Aquaman. Raise them, Aquaman. 
Looks like we're going to have the honor of rubbing you out. Aquaman puts his hands up in that do not shoot pose and thinks, trapped. Unless, hmm, I wonder if Tapo can get my telepathic command. Suddenly, Tapo comes in grabbing four sets of bows and arrows per Aquaman's command. Then, using four tentacles, it holds four bows, and with the other four tentacles, it shoots four simultaneous arrows. Twang, 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 twang. Aquaman takes credit for Tapo having the skill, saying he taught it to Tapo years ago. The members are stunned. The, the octopus is almost good as shot as Green Arrow. We're pinned to the wall. Sure enough, the four arrows have pinned each arm of the two members to the wall. Later, as the police are taking the gang members into custody, the sergeant tells Aquaman he's the perfect substitute for Green Arrow while he's out at sea hunting the wizard. Sort of a backhanded compliment, but Aquaman takes it in stride and thanks the sergeant. Let's hope this makes Shark desperate enough to come out of hiding for a face-to-face -face showdown. It just so happens that afternoon at Shark's hideout, one of his men is telling Shark that it's hopeless with Aquaman patrolling Star City. We can't do nothing! There's no pulling a stick up with him around! Shark replies saying, But he won't be around up there. He points his thumb upward. Listen to my idea. Once again, we time skip to the next day on the outskirts of Star City. While patrolling, Aquaman sees Shark's men having pulled a robbery and are trying to get away in a hot air balloon. They're trying to make a fast getaway and make it into the air balloon before Aquaman can make it out of his truck. The robbers are ecstatic. Shark's a genius. Maybe Aquaman can follow us on land, but he can't fly. Aquaman looks up at them. They're escaping in a balloon. I must work fast before it rises out of range. Seconds later, and he has a sea porcupine fire its quills. Whoosh. Next panel, and sure enough, the quills puncture the balloon. Zip. Zip. One member is surprised. <gasps> Aquaman's got fish that fires quills like a porcupine. Another notes how the, the air is coming out of the balloon. We're falling. As a result, shortly they fall out of the sky. We surrender, Aquaman. Just stop that thing from firing its quills at us. Aquaman retorts, I see you got the points. Okay, now throw down your guns and raise your hands. Time skip again, again, and at Shark's hideout, one of his men is wondering if Aquaman will answer Shark's challenge to meet him alone for a final showdown. Shark tells him he'd better, if Aquaman values the lives of his fish friends in the city aquarium. I'll telephone the police and relay the message to him. Okay, so later that afternoon, outside the aquarium, the police warn Aquaman that if he goes in alone, Shark will kill him. Which, as an aside, that's like, to tell a superhero that is crazy. Like, okay, maybe Batman, because he's just a dude. And that might be it. Because even Aquaman, you would think, well, he's got these better durability, super strength, or at least better strength, you know? So it, it does feel a lot. Despite this, Aquaman tells him it's a risk he'll have to take. If he doesn't, Shark will kill his sea friend, so wish him good luck. He enters and is met by Shark and several members with guns. Okay, Shark, I'm here. Now what? Shark responds, I'm going to finish you off. Let him have it, boys. The pirates open fire. Ratatata. But Aquaman dives and hits the floor, causing the bullets to hit the glass of the tanks. Smash. Crash. It shattered, allowing the fish to come out. The advantage goes to Aquaman as he has some electric eel shock one of the members. On my orders, the electric eels have gave that thug a taste of what the hot seat is like. Yee! Zap! He has a seal bite the butt of another member. That stun gets my seal of approval. 
Here's where we get my quote of the issue. What's the matter, Aquaman? I don't know. The fish are trying to tell me something. He has a crab grab the hands of another yow, to make crab handcuffs. As good as the metal kind any day. If a crab is able to cuff your hands with the appropriate, like, force, it's definitely going to hurt for real and definitely deal blood. Of course, here it's played as a joke and a way to show Aquaman's ingenuity. That said, it's a fun idea since, unlike Batman, Aquaman doesn't keep metal handcuffs on his person. So he can just ask a crab buddy who happens to be in the area to do it. I guess the eel could have done likewise, but he had already used them to shock the guy's butt. Ironically, he has a shark bite shark's butt. Ow! It takes a shark to catch a shark. Presently, at current time, the police have arrived to reprimand Shark. Well, Shark, it looks like you're no slippery fish to Aquaman. He hooked you on land just as well as on sea. Cuffed, Shark says. Yeah, I thought you'd be handicapped out of the water. I must have been crazy. Later on, in a nearby river, Aquaman is swimming with his fish friends from the aquarium. He's letting them enjoy some well-earned freedom while the tanks are being repaired. Now that he thinks of it, hmm, I wonder how Green Arrow made it out at sea against the wizard. That's where the story ends. The book then posts the question, are you wondering, reader? Turn to the next story and find out. That leads us to the underwater archers. The story picks up from the scene in the Manhunan land where the wizard has catapulted himself out of prison. Having landed in water, he made his escape back to his secret hideout. After he opens the door and walks in, with one of the members saying, But boss, you escaped from prison like you promised. He responds, Naturally, my plans always work, except when that blasted green arrow interferes. While holding a model plane, he goes on to explain how prison gave him time to think. He's changing his tactics and won't be making flying buzzsaws or drill mobiles anymore. He's changing focus to crimes at sea, where they'll be safe from green arrow. A few days later, we see Oliver Queen and Roy Harper in the secret arrow cave. Oliver explains how he heard through the prison grapevine that to avoid the green arrow, the wizard has taken to the sea to commit his crimes. In order to combat his now waterbound foe, they construct equipment so they can breathe underwater, such as helmets, oxygen tanks, fins, and royads. And underwater bows and arrows, our present weapons are useless, Oliver. Skip a few days and they're underwater practicing their underwater archery using their new weapons. Green Arrow has made four bullseyes on a giant target underwater. Roy thinks about how this pneumatic air pressure device can make their arrows shoot as accurately underwater as they could on land. That night they're using their newest piece of equipment. Our new arrow boat has passed every test for speed and seaworthiness, Roy. Now we're ready to begin our search for the wizard. Roy in the backseat replies, Fine, I'm raring to go. The next morning, and they're suited up in their hero costumes on the arrow boat. Green Arrow explains how he received an underworld tip that the wizard vowed to steal a shipment of gold bullion from the freighter in sight that's leaving Star City Harbor. They decide to follow it and see if the wizard shows up. The day passes uneventfully, and Speedy thinks the tip was a phony. Green Arrow points out that there's a line of whales swimming up to the freighter. Shortly later, the readers see that the whales were some sort of submarine made to look like whales at a distance. <gasps> That's no whale It's a mechanical contraption! The crew comes out and threatens the gold freighter. Okay, fools, stop your engines and toss your gold bullion into our forward hatch. Refuse and we'll sink you. An old sailor recognizes one of the men as the notorious convict who escaped, the wizard. He suggests they do as he says, 
since he's so dangerous. The wizard compliments him, saying that he's a smart captain. He takes pleasure knowing that while Green Arrow is on land, he'll clean up at sea. The arrowboat arrives. Speedy notices something. <gasps> Look, G.A., that whale's leaving an oil slick behind. In response, G.A. shoots an arrow. Twang. Yes, Speedy, because it's not a real whale like the others, but one of the wizard's new machines. That's why I'm firing a harpoon arrow into its metal side. Unfortunately, when it hits the metal whale, it starts to drag the arrowboat. G.A. dives in the water and has Speedy notch a Larry arrow and dive after him. While underwater, we see that two real whales are lassoed and each arrow is holding onto one. Speedy isn't sure how this will help, but G.A. tells him to swim back to the arrowboat and tie the ends of the lariats to the stern. Sure enough, back on the boat, they tie the lariat ends and G.A. has them fire several bait arrows ahead of the two whales so they go after the fish scent of the decoys and pull them in the opposite direction. In a bit, we see the two shooting more bait arrows. Whizz! Wash! Waz! The idea is that the whales will pull them to shore and G.A. tells him, not just us, but they're also dragging the mechanical whale backwards. In a few minutes, the wizard's sea creature will be beached. The whales are pulling the boat to land, and opposite that, we see the fake whale with a harpoon arrow inside it. While inside the whale, we realize that the harpoon did more than create a line to the boat, but also KO the electronic control system. They can't even open hatches or fire their guns. Good thing for the wizard, he prepared for such a crisis and led his men to an escape pod. Only three people could travel by it, however. The wizard promises to avenge his defeat, and a member tells him, You'd better, wizard. We miss getting captured by inches. When the ship gets to land, the Coast Guard arrests the crew of the fake whale. G.A. tells Speedy when the wizard next shows up, they'll be there to keep him company. A week later, the prison ship accidentally strikes an iceberg while in a fog. They start sinking fast. The captain orders the crew to free all prisoners and give them life jackets. It's every man for themselves. They abandon ship. The aeroboat arrives to answer the ship's SOS. The captain on the lifeboat told G.A. that they'd freed all the convicts, but they've all disappeared. Speedy notices one piece of the iceberg has broken off. The piece is going with the current, which made sense, but the main iceberg is actually going against the current, which is suspicious. They dive to get a closer look. Now inside the iceberg, you can probably imagine, is the wizard, his crew, and all the freed convicts. One of wizard's men tells him, Listen, wizard, for rescuing the convicts, who all swam to us from the prison ship, each convict promises to pay you with future robberies. Turns out the iceberg is a ship. Lots of tech-looking stuff inside, valves and such. There's a mounted rifle that's pointing out the window in case they get found out. It still has a helm, which feels weird since most of the stuff is so technological. Now in the middle is a glass floor where the wizard's pointing. Through it, we see G.A. and Speedy. He tells his men, forget that now. Look through my one-way glass bottom. Green Arrow is down there. He must hear the trimming of our engines. Now mow him down with my underwater machine guns. Alright, that got violent real quick. Moments later, we see the underwater version of being rained down upon by gunfire. Ratatata! Ratatat! Since they can't talk to each other underwater, the two are independently thinking about the situation. Speedy surmises it's gotta be the wizard inside the iceberg, and they need to get out of the range of their gunfire. Meanwhile, G.A.'s wondering about how they can best the wizard in this situation and what Aquaman would do if he were there. Ten minutes later and the two have successfully retreated to the ocean floor. They're digging up chunks of salt to make salt arrows. 
It's unclear where they got the shovels from, but maybe they're underwater too, or maybe they swam back to the arrow boat and dive back. No matter the answer, after making dozens of salt arrows, the two use their underwater bows to shoot arrows upward, blut, blut, so that they land on the iceberg. Their hope is that the fog lifts so the sun comes in to help heat the salt arrows, which will melt down the iceberg. I guess the ice and the snow on the iceberg dampened the sound, and it wasn't noticed because hours later, the sun and salt arrow combo work, wreaking havoc on the iceberg. We see the top hatch open and convicts swimming toward the rescue boat. Please save us. Green Arrow's rain of salt arrows melted down the wizard's iceberg. The sea is pouring in. Of course, the wizard had prepared for this, and he and his two men ejected via emergency rocket. Luckily, everyone got out before the iceberg fell apart. Angry, the wizard says, I'll fix Green Arrow for destroying it. In my underwater travels last week, I stumbled across a real sea monster. The next day, we see the wizard and another one of his men in skin diving equipment hiding behind some rocks looking at a giant bipedal green lizard. He'd come across a fire-breathing sea serpent that was hibernating for centuries until an atomic bomb test awakened it. The wizard figures if he lures GA, he'll think it's another one of the wizard's machines so he'll attack it and then farewell GA. Sure enough, that night, as Green Arrow followed the wizard's trail, he encounters the serpent and the two shoot arrows at it. It easily dissolves it with its underwater fire breath. <gasps> I thought the beast was the wizard's latest invention, but the serpent is real. The flame from its nostrils is actual fire that melts our arrows. Honestly, it looks more like the fire is coming out its mouth, not the arrows, but fine. Higher up in the distance, the wizard laughs. <laughs> now Green Arrow knows the serpent is no machine. He's doomed. G.A. realizes the wizard had lured them there to die. As a last resort, he fires a flare arrow. Instantly, thousands of different fish and an octopus enter the scene. G.A. thinks, I recognize Tapo, Aquaman's octopus pal. Or pet if you ask him. I met him once years ago. If I concentrate on Tapo with all my telepathic power, maybe he'll translate my appeal to the other fish. He concentrates and, I guess, telepathically tells Tapo, Help us, Tapo. We're Aquaman's friends. We fight evil men. Tell the sea serpent not to harm us and return to his abode. The sea serpent has eyes on Speedy and starts to breathe fire at him. A few seconds pass and the sea serpent turns its head back toward the fish, which G.A. interprets as Tapo having relayed the message to the other fish. He figures they must all be concentrating together to get his telepathic message across. The giant then turns around and leaves, walking away. Speedy now safe, G.A. turns his attention back to the wizard, who'd taken a ringside seat on a cliff to watch them die. Meanwhile, the wizard thinks, Green Arrow sees me. I've got to get away from here. Before they can get away, however, Green Arrow and Speedy shoot their fish hook arrows. Got him, Speedy. Reeling those poor fish. <gasps> We're trapped. Aquaman himself couldn't have done better than Green Arrow did underwater. That afternoon in Star City Harbor, Aquaman meets Green Arrow and driver Speedy at the aeroboat to congratulate them for capturing the wizard, who along with his men are still hooked together while G.A. is holding the line. Thanks, Aquaman, and I heard over the radio that you caught Shark Norton. So we both did all right. We must switch hunting grounds again sometime. The end. After the break, we'll go over some thoughts and feelings about the issue. Wait a minute. That was no joke. Somebody tried to kill me. That or we're not paying Mr. Slippery enough. Holy Neptune's trident. This has to be the work of the Legion of Doom. Hey, there's an echo inside my head. Echo. 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 Um, 
You Echo. okay, Aquaman? Echo. Echo. What? Oh, no, no problem. The first story feels quicker, and that's because it has to set up the story of the two escaped convicts and how they're swapping their usual areas. It's our usual underestimation of Aquaman and him having to come up with interesting or fun ways to get around obstacles. He can't breathe more than an hour underwater? Well, now he's got a helmet. He needs his marine friends to be really effective, and on land, that shouldn't be possible. He's got a tank, and he's driving around it on the back of a truck. Comical, sure, but it's fun to see him open the tank and a swordfish launch themselves like arrows. Now that I think of it, it's truly the closest hero that's like a Pokemon trainer or Digimon tamer, relying on his friends to do the work, but it's up to him to figure out how to use their skills to help in any particular situation. That said, there wasn't really any point in the comic where I felt like Aquaman was in any danger. Even when pirates were feet away shooting at him, he didn't flinch. He hit the floor and he knew the shots would break the glass of the aquarium, allowing multiple marine life to get their revenge. My favorite one, of course, was the crab handcuffs. The crab's claws were big and strong enough to hold the guy's hands together, but also very painful. Going to the next story, I like that we get to see GA and Speedy prepare for their underwater mission. Aquaman just kind of shows up with the stuff, so seeing the work being put into it is a nice change of pace. I liked how the wizard keeps making disguised ships like whales and icebergs, but always has an escape pod just in case. It's funny that the sea serpent is just Godzilla. The way he's described as a giant sea serpent, breathes fire, awakened by atomic bomb test, and ultimately isn't evil. I wish Aquaman himself would have come in and talked to him instead of Tapo, so that in a later comic, Aquaman could have called on him as a trump card. Say everyone's about to die, and Aquaman's awake, but otherwise unable to move, he calls to Godzilla to beat a foe. A crossover would be so cool. Imagine in Injustice 3, his super move is some stabs with a trident, then he scoops up his opponent into the air, and you get a cutscene with Godzilla quickly charging and shooting his atomic breath, frying the opponent. Sure beats the first Injustice with a shark bite. I don't know what is about these early crossover comics where they decide to put people in perils like Aquaman that the solution is just to give them Aquaman's powers. Remember in Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 12, Lois did just like Green Arrow here and was able to telepathically talk to marine life. Apparently, all you have to do is think really hard at the target for them to receive the message. And Aquaman just has an easier time doing it. Even though he's really good at it, anyone can do it. I'm almost afraid for the Batman crossover to see Batman talking to Tapa or even Bat Sharks. Point is, I'd like the powers to stay with Aquaman and at most, the Aqua family and Atlanteans. Beyond that, you make our heroes seem less special and less super. The end segment has Green Arrow telling Aquaman they should swap hunting grounds in the future, but I'd like to see a comic where they joined forces to defeat a foe. Say the wizard comes back underwater, so Green Arrow follows. But the wizard wins and captures Green Arrow. Speedy's able to get away and remembers that time he met Tapo and Aquaman. He can use rudimentary telepathy to talk to Tapo, passes out due to the effort, so Tapo takes him to the top of a whale and Aquaman comes to talk to him. The three later confront the wizard, save Green Arrow, and the day is saved. You can throw in some more detail, but that's like the skeleton of the story. What do you think? Did you read the comic? Did I get something wrong? If I did and you guys let me know, I'll include a corrections section in the next episode and I'll credit the user. Let's continue the discussion on social media and the YouTube VOD. You can find me at Thunder on Twitter or X and at Team underscore Thunder on YouTube. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to and want to learn more of the Spider-Man of the future, check out Accelerated Visions, a Spider-Man 2099 podcast on Spotify and anywhere you can find podcasts.
Be sure to follow that and this podcast to get episodes as soon as they drop. Manjume out. Whoo, man. Glad that's not before things got worse.